Hello, and welcome to the Modern Goat Rider podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to emphasise the opinions expressed by our hosts and guests are strictly their own and do not represent the positions of any lodge, grand lodge, or other branches of the independent order of Oddfellows. In fascinating conversations we open to the public for the purposes of inspiring our global membership promoting the order. So, sit back, open your ears, and your heart in your hand while I introduce you to our hosts. Welcome to the Modern Goat Rider Podcast. I'm Billy Sanderson, and I'm joined by... Josh Miller. How are you doing today, Josh? Fantastic. That's great. So today we have an interview with Ainsley Heinlich from uh, Tuscola Lodge 316. And uh, Ainsley joined us in a, a Zoom call. It was a great interview. He had a lots to share about his history, his involvement in Oddfellows, and the work that they're doing in a rather small town. Tuscola is a city of only about 4,000 people, according to Wikipedia. And so we really enjoyed the interview. And what do you have to say about that? Yeah, an amazing story. I, I liken it to uh, the scene in um, the great um, motion picture, The Blues Brothers, when Jake and Elwood are in church and they see the light because uh, Ainsley opens up a closet. He sees some collars of odd fellows, and all of a sudden he's on a mission from God to uh, restart an Oddfellow Lodge. It's an amazing story, and we really hope you enjoy it. Here's Ainsley. We're here with uh, Ainsley from uh, Tostola 316. And uh, Ainsley's here with Josh and I. We're here in the, the studio FLT in my basement. And we're going to uh, have some time here with Ainsley, learning about his lodge and about his uh, journey in becoming a leader in Odd Fellowship. So welcome, Ainsley. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, so I guess I will start in the beginning. Um, Around nine years ago, uh, me and my business partner, uh, we were living on the East Coast, and my whole family has migrated out to the Midwest, uh, Central Illinois, to be specific. And so just coming out here and seeing how affordable buildings were, and it just seemed like a good opportunity. And so the building that we're currently here right now, um, it was for sale for a price that just couldn't be beat. And it was actually like the real estate broker actually had called it like the old odd fellows hall. So from the beginning, we were basically told that like, Oh, this, you know, used to be an odd fellows lodge and now it's been different various things. And it had the storefront, uh, the upstairs where the lodge was like the, most of it had been converted into an apartment is a, you know, just a perfect setup for, you know, having a tattoo shop downstairs for me to live upstairs and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't know anything about the odd fellows at that time. And I, um, we, when we first moved in, like the, the lodge hall was, it, it really didn't look like the lodge hall at all. At that point, it was basically a glorified storage junk room. It was water damage. It had been repurposed to other things. It did not look fraternal in any way, shape or form. Um, and I didn't know anything about odd fellows. 
And so we found a bunch of callers up in the crawl space. And I was just like, what is this stuff? And they just looked like they'd all just been thrown up there, just very haphazard, no rhyme, no reason. So all in all, it was like about two dozen callers and like a couple other odds and ends. And um, some of them had numbers on it, the 316. So I, you know, went, went to the old Googler and uh, found the uh, Grand Lodge of Illinois and emailed and was like, hey, we just bought this building. Uh, I want to know a little bit about the history of it. This is, you know, what we found. And the reply we got from the Grand Secretary was basically like, these are the years that your lodge was active. Um, I think it closed like 1952 or 1953, something like that, like the early 50s. It, it had been gone for a long time. Okay, cool. So we, you know, wanting to kind of keep, you know, with the vibe of the building, kind of looking on eBay at stuff and buying like old books that I find at an antique store on, you know, like Grand Lodge Sessions 1923, like just kind of stuff like that. You know, I didn't know what it was at the time at all, but I was, I was curious enough to keep looking for it. And eventually um, I decided I wanted to replace the peephole cover. Uh, the wicket to our um, to the lodge door because the hole had actually been covered with one of those uh, those like metal um, plates that for like a junction box. So when I screw that off, I found like that perfect circle on the door. I'm like, oh, this is the peephole. This is cool. And I wanted to find the the little wicket, and you could see the perfect outline of the like what would have been the cast iron wicket. So I go on eBay and I find it, and pay you know a great deal of money for myself at the time for an odd fellows item it was a great deal of money but at this point it is not um but i bought it and it was almost like when i got this thing in the mail and i was finally able to put it up on the door it was one of those national treasure moments that like the holes lined up even like the little screw holes and everything just like fit into place like some indiana jones thing and i feel like that was the moment I, I think I got hooked. And um, so from there, I messaged back to the Grand Lodge and was like, where's the closest active lodge? And so they tell us where it is. So, so I convinced my business partner to join with me. And we're members there for like about like a year and a half, two years. And it's, it was a kitchen table lodge where they just sit around the, uh, you know, kitchen table and do the ritual. And it was not the best introductory experience to odd fellowship but i saw the potential in it because the lodge room and the lodge hall they had was just gorgeous so like it was enough to keep me hooked and then things just weren't quite quite gelling um with us with that lodge so i decided hey we've got this big giant room that we're just using as junk storage what if we got that lodge going again and so um had to get, you know, the 15 people together and all that, you know, what, um, what we're required to do to get a lodge chartered and went through that whole process and took a, you know, took a lot of elbow grease and sweat and love. And five years ago, next week, um, we reinstituted Tuscola 316 from it's, uh, about like 65 year slumber. And so, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a proud achievement of mine. And then from there, I kind of 
kept getting more and more involved and got on like a committee with the Grand Lodge to do the website over. And then from there, the um, Sovereign Grand Lodge was like, oh, well, let's get you over here. So then that next thing I know, I'm on the communications committee for Sovereign. And then I'm rebuilding that website and starting a blog with another odd fellow, um, the Heart and Hand blog, um, that we've been running that for a handful of years. And that, you know, just everything just kind of keeps piling and piling. And I've just, it's, I've let it take over my life quite literally. And, but I love it. And I, I don't think I'd trade it for anything. That's the short version. Such an, it's such an amazing story. And it's so, it's so motivational. Um, I'm curious as to um, what it was about the odd fellow symbolism or the things that you found that made you, like drove you to become such a leader and such a builder within uh, your area. Well, for, for me, I'm a tattoo artist, um, for those who don't know, um, that's my occupation. And so the first thing that really drew me to the Odd Fellows was the symbolism and, you know, like skulls, the heart and hand, the three links. It was just all very, like, I mean, just to be blunt about it, it was all really cool. And I wanted to learn more about it. And it, you know, I, you know, started getting these books and stuff to re basically to learn, you know, I wanted to learn the secrets. And, um, but what I ended up finding out was so much more valuable than any like secret code or password or any of that. And it just was like, this is a philosophy for life. And it's so simple and beautiful, but also so hard to master. And then, I love the idea that it's a group of people from all walks of life coming together. And it kind of reminded me of, uh, of marching band. I was really huge in band uh, when I was younger and I really missed that camaraderie, that group experience, that group working towards a common goal. And this, I was like, this is the thing I've been looking for to fill that hole that I've been having in my heart for, you know, for so long since I, you know, quit you know being in band as a you know as a student and so yeah I really feel like it's just for me it just feels like a need that I have in my life for direction and purpose and validation towards like like to see that I'm making a difference in the world or in other people's lives versus just kind of like trying to help in a very haphazard way if that makes sense mm -hmm. oh, it does um so I have a it's kind of related to it and it's digging into a bit on how you how you sur I survived is the wrong word but you know lodges uh, need a lot of uh, people to join and they need those people to be dedicated and um, and pers persevere through some of the stuff uh, starting a new lodge uh, is a somewhat freeing in that you're not sitting with a bunch of uh, gentlemen and ladies who have tradition in their mind uh, based on habit and their preference more so than tr tradition. So when you're starting out that new lodge, what did you learn about your, your, the people who you were bringing in or what were some of the things they were just telling you about being an odd fellow in those early years or whatever? Um, the, like specifically like the lodge that I was in, like what were they bringing to tell me what Odd Fellowship was about or like, is that what you're? Yeah, okay. so you as a new lodge and, and as I, I'll repeat it, that's you just didn't have that, you didn't have the 
the, the grumpy members in the corner that were distracting right. you from positivity. Yeah, and, I, I, and going into opening a new lodge, I did not have a good foundation myself as a member yet because the um, I just hadn't, you know, really been challenged as an odd fellow yet to do a lot of, um, of the work of the order. So um, it definitely was a huge learning curve process the first several years to find the kind of find our legs in a way um, because in a community that's already got all these established great organizations that are powerhouses like Kiwanis is huge in our town here and they have big money fundraisers and they do a lot and like Rotary is really big. Um, so where were we going to fit in and not be stepping on toes? And we had to kind of feel that out a little bit. And uh, when we were getting the lodge going, one of the best bits of advice I was given was by uh, past Grandmaster Eric Smith. He said, you need to decide what's the culture of your lodge before you get it going. And that he said that each lodge is like its own little family or its own little community. And they each have their own vibe, like it or not. They each are unique and have their own vibe. And maybe sometimes it doesn't work out when you join a lodge, a particular lodge, because maybe your vibe is not like what you're trying to get out of the experience is different from what their experiences. And so you might just need to find a different lodge that fits better. So, you know, for example, in Illinois, we have a couple lodges that are very, like, uh, motorcycle enthusiast heavy. Uh, we have ones that are, um, you know, they're into hunting or golf, you know, golfers. And so a lot of them are around, like, kind of hobby-based or kind of lifestyle-based lodges. And so uh, Brother Eric was basically told us, you guys should be the artsy-fartsy lodge. So I was like okay, that, you know, that makes sense. Like, what are we working with and what are your strengths? Play to that is basically what he was saying. Um, so our first year we were assigned uh, like a mentor from the Grand Lodge. Um, so we had a past grandmaster assigned to us to be our noble grand the first year and teach us the ropes and make sure we had everything well underway. Um, and uh, so uh, that's uh, Dan Davis and he brought along a, uh, another past grandmaster, Gene Kerfman, and they live about 50 minutes away. And they were only supposed to be around that first year. And here we are five years later, and they still come to pretty much every meeting. Um, so, and it's really like, I've had people tell me that they've been able to see like with Dan, him getting re-inspired and reinvigorated on Odd Fellowship because members get tired after a while. You know, it's, it's a lot of the same and, you know, it's just, you know, it, it is hard to keep motivated, but it's helped him get re get remotivated as a member himself. And he's actually gotten more involved on some of the Grand Lodge committees and stuff because he's gotten that fire again. Um, but it's, it's really cool because it's like, we have these, you know, these, these men that are, you know, that are senior citizens that come to our lodge. And then our noble grand is, in her like mid twenties, our vice grands in his mid twenties. So coming up, you know, we've got very young leadership coming up through the chairs and we, so we, this age divide is really good because it's actually working together in a harmonious way. And it's not the, um, it's not the stereotype of a young person joining a lodge full of senior citizens 
that haven't had a new member through their doors in 10, 15 years, and they're not trusting of anybody new. And you got to kind of earn their trust a little bit. You know, that's, that is one of the big hurdles of, you know, a new member is kind of getting everybody to get on board with their new ideas. And we, Fortunately, we don't have that problem because everything we do is a new idea. Ainsley, that's that's an incredible story. I, I love it. I'm just wondering how many how many members do you have in your lodge right now? I don't have the exact number. We have we got probably about half a dozen people that are candidates that are still waiting for their uh, initiatory um, since all the degree days have been had been canceled mm -hmm. so probably including them we might be somewhere between 32 35 people maybe um i had you know depending on like the last people that dropped as members from the um last dues thing i i'll have to get back to you on an exact number but somewhere around there yeah yeah so around 30 and all are pretty active i imagine it's in different ways um so like our meetings are roughly you know anywhere between you know eight to a dozen people depending on the on the time of year and we're all pretty active on our chat groups on on the facebook chat and uh you know a lot of them will be social members and they'll just come to the social stuff mm -hmm. or they'll help out with a lot of the activities that we do or you know they just just like to be on the chat and just have a group of people to chat with so there's i feel like our members are kind of serving in different ways and it might not be all the same way, but I'm definitely of the belief that there's more than one way to be a good odd fellow. Absolutely. Are you missing Lodge as much as me? I I am, but I also kind of live in the Lodge, so I don't <laughs> miss the physical Lodge. Right. But um, we've been doing the Zoom meetings, and we, like I said, we keep active on Facebook, so we are still able to vote on doing donations and keeping active. And like we just did a um, an outdoor movie event the other weekend so we're still doing stuff within the parameters of what we're allowed to do right now so as the artsy fartsy lodge mm -hmm. and uh being a, a relatively small group i guess on a meeting bit by meeting an event that you've run is something like the odd market or something large like that is, is that where you're drawing in enough horsepower from your lodge or maybe those are lodge membership or maybe those are events where you are pulling in volunteers who aren't members and they're interested is that yes either of those correct yes uh both of those are correct so for like a big event like odd market um, we have a committee of four of us that are like the planning committee and then from there we then involve the lodge in trying to get you know the volunteer roster together and all that kind of stuff and now that we've done it you know four times we actually just announced that we're canceling it for 2020 because of uh, the rona which is sad but we'll still be doing the smaller stuff like the, the movie night type things um but we do have like a core group of people that i've kind of started referring to them as as annie room folks uh because there are people that like to help us out, but they don't want to be committed to being an odd fellow. They don't want to, they're just not joiners or they might have like an issue with joining, um, like either like a philosophical issue with it, or, um, they just don't want to join something that they're like, Oh, you're just going to rope me in with a bunch of other stuff that I don't feel like doing. So the, the supporters are a huge help though, because you know, a lot of them are people that you could depend on in a pinch, even though they're not odd fellows, they, 
I, I guess it's because either they like us as a group or they like me enough as a friend to be like, yeah, yeah, I'll help out with that. So, so I'm just getting back to um, just that pure that moment when you realized you wanted to be an odd fellow. Like I feel your passion, mm -hmm. and that's um, I can relate to that because um, I'm one of those people who will stand at a party and tell people how amazing uh, being an odd fellow is, and my story is like, you know, nothing close to yours. And just, it, I'm just shocked at how someone can find callers. And then five years later, you have a, an amazing thriving lodge. So it's obviously not the road that everybody needs to take to become an odd fellow, but where does that passion come from? What, what it, like, I, again, like what was it about odd fellowship that made you want to create, like work so hard and create so much so quickly because you know, there, I, I feel like you're a, you're a special person. There's not many people like you out there. And that's, um, thank you <laughs> builders and builders, people like you who, who are building our order, they need to be praised and loved. And, uh, I'm pouring it on for you right now, but like, what was it exactly about this specific order rather than say, going to join the Masons or Rotary or all these other clubs? Um, there had to be something about odd fellows specifically that just kind of just it just ignited you. It just like my love for it started with just researching my building and loving my building and wanting to learn more about the history of the place that I live in. And then from there, it just snowballed rapidly. And I don't think it was ever like a choice, even not to like sound cheesy, like it's like a calling, but it's almost just like. I saw what I needed to do and I just did it. And even to this day, I mean, there, I mean, there are times with, I mean, uh, being an odd fellow is not an easy thing. I'm sure anybody would agree to that. It's not easy. You don't join this because it's going to be fun and easy all the time. It's, it's challenging. It's hard. It's frustrating at times. It's, you know, it's thankless at times. Sometimes it's very thankful and people have been very generous and kind and like, sending me you know like I, i've been getting recently all of a sudden like gifts in the mail from members who are just so thankful and it's just like all of a sudden i'm like what is you know like i'm like why am i deserving of all these like you know awesome presents but i'll take it but it's uh, i guess it's people just wanting to say thank you to me and i guess i just feel like i felt like i was probably just it was like i was missing something in my life i didn't know it until it happened and I totally stole that quote from another brother, uh, Shane Simmons, that he's the first one that said it. I was like, that is so true. It was like, it was something that was missing that you never even knew it until you found it. It's like a bug. And I feel like I could tell at the end of an initiation or even, even during, even during that first time they lift up the hoodwinks and I look at their face and how they're reacting. I could tell in that moment if they get it, and they think it's cool or they're like, this is just a bunch of hooey. What, this is cheesy. What is this? You know, I feel like those are the people we need to keep an eye out for because those are the people that are like that you get bit by that odd bug and it just does not let go. And that's how you end up with people that are like 70 year members. So I think, you know, not that I want to say that, like compare myself to like somebody who's like a, past sovereign grandmaster or they've served on every chair, every committee, every office ever. But like, I could see what it takes to get to that point because that's a long game to be involved 
at that level for that many decades without just throwing your hands up and leaving because this is something we're all doing that we're not getting paid for. And it's a lot of work that you're not getting paid for. And a lot of people don't want to do anything unless they're getting paid for it, especially if it's hard, thankless work, like being a lodge secretary or treasurer or something like that. I think it just takes a special type of person. And I guess I might've just been the special type of person or the special type of crazy. And it just, I just took to it, you know? Preach. Preach. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I was going to say that, you know, like you're not, you're not getting paid for it. You pay to be a volunteer. Yeah. And this was a great quote from somebody very close to me. The puzzlement about joining, why do I have to pay to be a volunteer at an event? And that's where your friends are volunteering without membership. But now this particular member says, like, I get it. Like, I, I, I have a certain level of depth I'm willing to be in on this. And that is making them very, very happy. But that first step of, what do you mean I have to pay $120 to be a member and volunteer at these events? I just like going to the events and paying the money for the event. Um, but yeah, like, so, so now I get to my question. So when you are courting that new member, what is your... What's your elevator speech? What's your what's your talk of odd fellowship? I mean, it definitely depends on my audience because um, it. What are they looking to get out of a fraternal experience? Because odd fellowship is so hard to explain in a neat little package. Like you say, like that your elevator pitch. It's like, how do you give a brief, concise little snippet on odd fellowship? And one of the things I say, which is kind of a cheat, but um, one of my uh, lodge mates, uh, she said it back when she first joined. She's like, it's like scouting for grownups. And I was like, that's perfect because it's got the volunteer aspect. It's got the social aspect. You learn a little something. There's, you know, there's a little bit of woo-woo with it. There's the symbols. There's this, the secret handshake and the knock and the passwords. And it's just fun. And it's all a little like... It's like entering this magic world where, you know, when they say like the outside world is shut out, it's literally that. It's this magic little bubble that you enter into and you enter this world of odd fellows. And for that little bit of time, you're just focused on this one thing and you forget about your day. You forget about the drama on the news. You forget about Facebook. You forget about your crappy job or whatever. And you have this hour or however long your meeting is to like to become somebody better or to try to become a better version of yourself. Or if you're an officer, you, you literally take on that role of like you are the warden. That's why it would, you know, like when we say it in the meeting, like when we read out what our roles are, it's almost like a, a ritual magic spell. If you, you know, learn anything about magic. We are casting a spell in the beginning of the meeting. That's what the whole opening ritual is and the closing ritual. And when we talk about who we are and our role, that is who we are. We are not ourselves in that moment. We are literally that character. And we are trying to hold ourselves to that higher example. It's you know kind of like how we put on costumes to do ritual. And we literally become a different person in that moment. 
And I like that idea of setting aside a time to not be ourselves, but to try to be something better. And a lot of people are looking for that. They're looking for something like a purpose. And especially, I mean, I know, you know, there's probably slight cultural variations between you guys being in Canada and me being, you know, in the Midwest of the United States, but, you know, people want to help and they want to feel empowered to make a difference in their communities and they just don't know how to do it. And we're not trained to do these things in our schools. We're just trained to go to work and only volunteer if it helps us look good on a college application or it's required for work or it helps us get brownie points in some way. It's a self-serving thing. And the whole thing with Oddfellows is that it's not self-serving at all. And if you're being selfish about it to look good, then you're not doing it right. And Amazing. If I, if I was in the elevator with you, I would let the doors close a few times and I'm listening to that entire speech because that's amazing. Every time I talk, it's always, it's always like it depends on my mood and it depends on the person. And I'll give you a radically different speech on a different day. But if anybody's listening to this podcast and they're not an odd fellow, you can hear exactly what is so amazing about our order through um, what Ainsley's saying. So uh, go out and find a lodge that's close to you and uh, and just try and discover what it's all about. It's like I almost feel like since I almost like like evangelize it so strong because my experience, even though I had my bumpy start and I know how things can go wrong for a lot of new members, I also know how you can kind of you learn through that because you learn to negotiate with people that you don't need to normally negotiate with because it's not really in your benefit. You could just walk away and quit, which unfortunately is what happens to a lot of people when they join because they think they got these big ideas and they're going to come in like a bull in a china shop and fix this whole thing up. And people are like, whoa, whoa, calm down. Let's, you know, no, we're not going to do this because they're like freaked out. And then they're like, well, fine. I don't need y'all. You don't need whatever, you know, and they quit. And I don't want to like mislead people that it's like this, like, perfect roses and whatever but it there are ways to learn no matter what your lodge situation is there's ways to learn to work with a group and to make it happen and then pull new members in and then once you kind of really have put your ego aside mainly is what it is is you have to put your ego and your arrogance aside for a few minutes and learn and then once you've learned then you're allowed to you know, take charge and they will, you know, kind of give you the keys to the castle at that point. But, um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, the road to odd fellowship is a lot rockier and curvier and steeper than maybe what my energy dictates. But I also wanted to kind of put that disclaimer out there that, you know, it is, we're a, like a diamond in the rough right now. That is just a jewel that needs to be dusted off and shined up and shown to the world that it's, you know, it's still very valuable. And even now more so than maybe 20 years ago, like the need for odd fellowship is so, especially for people like younger that like, I'm gonna turn 40 next week, but like the younger people who are like, they grew up on social media and they've never probably had experiences with people like this. And they need that to learn how to live in society. I feel like our youngest members are our most excited members actually. I, I, th I just want people to, to like discover it for themselves in their own way and not maybe expect the same experience that I've had with it, but to find their own experience with it because 
it could be so many different things. Like if you're just into the history or if you're in the art or if you're just into antiques or if you like acting or if you are really want to learn how to run a nonprofit or if you want to learn how to do better, like speaking in front of groups, there's so many things that people can learn by joining that are not even what first at first, you know, BCI, you know, you think you're just going to learn a handshake and a symbol and a, you know, meet some folks, but there's, you got to kind of open your eyes and your ears and your mind to everything that you're learning. Cause even the negative stuff is a really good learning experience. So just quickly about um, recruiting younger members. What is it because you've been so prevalent on social media and with your blog and you're reaching them at the level that they're at, that's how you've been able to bring in 20 year olds. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's having, having events that are geared towards, people of that age group is also a huge thing because if the lodge is say the lodge is full of you know all seniors like nobody under the age of 65 and the only events that they hold are events that are geared towards people their age that's the only kind of people they're going to attract as members or people from their peer group but those older members i guarantee you they've all got grandkids that are of whatever age get the grandkids involved what kind of activities do the grandkids classmates want to do or if they're you know young adults what kind of activities would young adults want to do and get them involved and that's how you start getting that ball rolling if you're an older member and you're like where do we attract younger people you've already got a pool right in your family tree to try to get to join and get involved and it's a great you know way to learn more about your family and it's a great way to connect with your family in a way that's outside of the regular family structure and you might learn something about your parents or your grandparents or your aunt or your uncle or whoever. And I get a lot of emails actually of younger people that are researching their family trees and being like, Hey, my grandmother was a Rebecca. My grandfather was an odd fellow. Um, I found this, uh, in like a box of their stuff. What does this mean? And I always, you know, with my email replies, I always tell them, first of all, I try to figure out where they're at so I could help them find if there is a lot, a lodge nearby, but, Tell them like this is a great way to connect with those ancestors that you've never met, because we do things as you know frustrating as it can be at times. We do things pretty much the same way for the past hundred fifty years. So you're going to literally do the same exact thing that your grandfather or your grandmother did. If she was lodge secretary and she had to fill out those dues cards, you know what? You're going to fill out the identical dues cards. You're going to fill out the exact same things that they did. And you're going to say the same things out of the same little book that they did. A lot of people even have those same books. They'll, they'll use the charge book that was somebody important to them. They will refuse to use the new one. They will only read out of that old charge book because that belonged to somebody important to them. And I love that. I had the exact experience with uh, a visitor came with Rebecca Chinaware and some a Columbia two parade badge that was absolutely perfect mint. And it was their great uncles. We found the minute books of when they joined. We, uh, I found them through some scans and there they were. We discovered that they, uh, their great, their uncle was a, uh, oh, sorry, uh, right support of the vice grand. Mm -hmm. And so we were in the hall and I said, he sat there. That's awesome. He, he sat and he looked that way in this exact room. I didn't get them to join, but <laughs> they were very, they were really connected on that. Um, so as you say, if you 
if you can inspire the older generation to look at the younger and sort of teach not this is the way it was or you know you have to do it this way just this is the really cool stuff we do yeah connect it and then you have the other history side to it i really like the way you're talking about family members and learning about your learning about your parents and grandparents um would you guys ever consider um trying to start a rebecca's lodge in your uh, city we our lodge is pretty evenly split between odd fellows i mean i'm sorry between uh, male and female so like the question kind of had been posed in the very beginning like oh should we do like a rebecca lodge and at this time it's just like you know it's hard enough to get enough people to come to a regular odd fellow meeting and try to figure out how to make that meeting interesting enough that if we were to do like a rebecca lodge it would just probably be very um it would be just that much more more difficult you know there'd just be one more meeting for everybody to have to try to attend so so as of right now we don't have probably i mean if if there were enough people that were really interested in doing it i mean it'd be really cool to bring back that rebecca lodge that used to be here as well um this building also had an encampment so we were technically a temple so we had yeah we had the Othos rebecca and an encampment in this building at one point I mean, it would be cool to bring that back, but I, I as, of, as of right now, I don't see it in the cards. Um, I do belong to Rebecca Lodge, uh, Owl Creek, up um, where our, uh, the past grandmasters that come down to our meetings up where they're members at. So um, I, do, I do belong to Rebecca and Encampment and Canton all up at that same lodge. But I think the members, like since a lot of them are kind of like low pressure engagement, that I feel like there probably wouldn't be enough interest to do a Rebecca Lodge, unfortunately. Yeah, that was, I mean, I'm just being a little cheeky. I just, the future of Rebecca's Lodges based um, now that women can be odd fellows. Do you have any thoughts regarding that? I mean, me personally, why would someone be a Rebecca when they could be an odd? Right. And I think it depends on the area and if the Rebecca Lodge that is in that area is super vibrant. We've got some Rebecca Lodges in Illinois that are very active and some of them are the ones that are attached to an odd fellows lodge that is still male only we do have a handful of of those uh men's only lodges still in illinois and those are the ones that do have the strong rebecca lodges the ones that don't those rebecca's are generally most part are also the odd fellows in that lodge as well and they just do double duty pretty much like the same quorum is the member of like all the lodges in that area trying to keep them all afloat I see, I mean, I could be totally, I, you know, I don't like taking off my like sovereign grand lodge social media webmaster hat here for a moment and not speaking as, as an authority on any of it at all, but just as an, as a member, I, I feel like, unfortunately, I mean, even though the numbers are still pretty high for Rebecca's, it's kind of like almost like a sunset program where the Rebecca's that are very passionate about it and don't want to become odd fellows. Like we're allowing them to keep that tradition and that passion and not force them out and force them into doing something they don't want to do, even though it's not being marketed as hard or pushed as hard, except in those areas where the Rebecca Lodges are still very thriving and vibrant and active. It's just not as big of a focus, it seems, you know, it, it definitely takes a secondary role, but it kind of, unfortunately, I think for the most part, always kind of did take a secondary role as most women's uh, auxiliary type groups tend to, um, sadly. I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to, you know, take my Rebecca degree and um, 
experience it before more lodges do go because you know i'm sure they'll you know in our lifetimes i'm sure there's still going to be rebecca lodges i don't see that as being something that will be you know people get scared thinking like sovereign's going to get rid of all the you know the rebecca's and the everything you know and there is a program to kind of work on collapsing things down as they need to but i don't as of right now like yeah rebecca's is it, it's doing okay but it's gonna you know definitely we'll see a big decline probably over the next decade or two as a lot of them unfortunately die away they're not being replaced as readily as the odd fellows are well, do I take off my corporate hat or or whatever? But maybe this is the type of thing that lodges either new or established. They go through uh, they go through an evolution, and at some point, you kind of hit like you're saying that sunset date or that age. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily members, but you're just you're not thriving, you're not vibrant, and you, as a lodge, are on this sort of last legs of survival. And so if I was now in a corporate world, I'd be looking at this quote unquote product that no one is buying. Mm-hmm. And I would say, what is your strategy for the survival of your lodge? And then how does that fit with sort of the survival or the world around you? And so if you come up with a plan, first of all, you gotta, you gotta get a plan from somebody who's being challenged, who hasn't had a plan in a long time. Like, how are you gonna keep your order vibrant for, or your lodge vibrant for two or three more years. What's your plan? Mm. And if you aren't able to do that, I think you you can't avoid that sort of corporate look of it that you're selling a really hot commodity and it's called membership in this lodge. So when you build that plan for a sunsetting lodge to stop sunsetting, I think you're really putting people to a lot of task. Uh, they, they just haven't done it. They haven't. These are members who haven't done anything different right. in 10, 20 years. So you're asking them to do something different. You need a plan to keep you from sunsetting. Yeah. And with these, uh, you know, like dead wa- lodge walking, zombie lodge, whatever you want to call them, you get these zombie lodges that are just barely, you know, they're, they're, they're for all intents and purposes, a zombie lodge is a lodge that it still exists on paper. It still technically has a quorum, but they haven't had any new members in decades. They don't consistently meet. They've not had a public event in probably just as long as they've not had a new member. And they just exist. And unfortunately, lodges at that point, they've already become, they've closed their doors to the outside world, but they've become so insulated that it's just the five of them looking at each other. They can't, it's like that echo chamber where they can't see outside of it and they get almost too possessive of it at that point where they don't want anybody to save it. And they're like, I'd rather see this lodge close than for us to have to make an effort or for us to take a risk or for us to have to give it to somebody else to take over because they feel too much ownership in it because they've been there for too long. And so they feel like the money is theirs. And so, you know, you'll hear all sort of cockamamie things like the lodge will go on a cruise on the lodge money and then they'll, you know, hand back their charter after they spent all the lodge's money. So the Grand Lodge doesn't get the money, you know, crazy stuff like that, that they would rather scuttle the ship after a certain point than to let somebody else have it. Or they just, you know, they just are so almost like depressed in a way. The lodge itself is like depressed and the membership is depressed that they just can't fathom that anybody would ever want to come and join it. And if somebody did come and join it, they'd be like, this is horrible. This is miserable. 
you know, I don't want to, why did I come here? And then they're never going to come back because it's, it's like walking into like a tomb in a way, if there's just, there's no life left in it, unless you're, you know, got that special kind of crazy that you can still see the potential past the, you know, the necrosis of the lodge, you know, the books are, the financials are totally out of order. The record keeping is all jumbled. The, you know, nobody knows how many members there are, how to get a hold of them, you know, like all sorts of things like that, that are, you know, how do you recover from that without the Grand Lodge intervening and getting them back on their feet and having an open house and getting the place cleaned up and painting and really having a concerted community effort? And I do feel like a lot of times that's when you do have to have the Grand Lodge intervene at those points because the members aren't going to, they're just not capable of it. Either they're too old or like their health has failed them or they just don't have the energy or the vision or any of it. Um, so I do feel like a lot of the zombie lodges, unfortunately, like sometimes what they do is they just let them close. And then the Grand Lodge, if they want to keep the building and they believe that there's people that want to do it, they'll just sit on the building for a few years, wait for somebody to come along, and then they recharter it. Start it clean. Mm-hmm. Which works. Which works. I mean, it has worked in, in, in ways. And I part of me has no patience for zombie lodges. Yeah. You know, like part of me wants to go in there and go, hey... Uh, I'm a builder. Let me show you how to build. This is how we do it. And part of me is like, you guys don't want to change. So you don't want to work like you say, and then you don't deserve to, to continue. On a larger scale of that, um, I mean, I feel like my opinions on what will be happening or what needs to happen with Odd Fellowship for it to become a better, you know, over across the whole board, a better product, a more consistent product, I guess a better experience across the board so that there aren't, you know, a lot of these zombie lodges unfortunately need to close. And a lot of these zombie jurisdictions also like there's so many grand lodges that I, as you know, the webmaster and I get emails every day trying to put people in touch with the grand lodge so they could find out where the local lodge is. I have a good list of grand lodges that never respond to emails and they just don't care. They they're not interested in getting new members for their jurisdiction if there's a jurisdiction that's got a grand lodge like that, you know what, if you don't care or don't have the energy to even respond to an email about a prospective member, that could be that one person. They could be the one, that one match that resets the whole fire in a district or a lodge or a jurisdiction. And they're just, eh, they can't hit the reply or they can't pick up the, you know, from the answering machine, let them get swallowed up by the next jurisdiction that is active. So that way the remaining lodges have a chance because they'll at least get some better support, you know? And that's what I was going to say too, is that, you know, I think with uh, our lodge, I mean, we went through a very dormant period and then it was kind of reignited by a couple of fresh faces 10, 15 years ago. And like you said, it just took that one or two sparks to like all of a sudden, you know, create, you know, this, this blaze of, of, of involvement and uh, passion regarding, you know, odd fellowship and the lodges. So, you know, that's the part of the juxta that uh, poses me is, is part of me wants to just say, okay, yeah, let him die. But then the other says like, well, what if that we're just missing that one piece that's going to reignite that entire lodge or that jurisdiction. So it's, it's such a tough call. And, and, you know, all, I was just going to say a lot of these smaller lodges sometimes, or these, um, you know, these dor- more dormant lodges just need um, to see that it can be done. And that it can that it can be more 
exciting and engaging for a broader spectrum of people. I also wanted to say on the flip side of that coin is um, a lot of these zombie lodges also become very attractive for somebody to join for nefarious reasons because they see a building that might be on a valuable piece of property or they see a bunch of old people sitting on a bank account with you know $60,000 in it and they see that as an easy mark and an easy target. And how many times do you hear about secretary of just, you know, arrested and for embezzling or stuff like that. And a lot of these lodges that get desperate, they'll get desperate for anybody that shows up at their door and they're going to end up with the low hanging fruit. Because if you're, you know, especially when we preach membership, 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 get as many people as you can. And that's not the right tactic. We want quality, not quantity. You want to make sure you're vetting people. You don't want to just let any old person in your lodge that's going to have get immediately put if you're, you know, needing somebody to be the treasurer and you immediately make them the treasurer because the last treasurer is like 95 years old and can't see anymore. The last thing you need to do is immediately put somebody who just joins off the street into that position because next thing you're going to know, they could be somebody who cleans out the accounts. And unfortunately, we're seeing that happen here and there. And, you know, it's getting reported on the news. And that's not the kind of, A, that's not the kind of publicity we need to be getting on the news. And B, that's totally breaks the trust and the, any sort of, it really, when something like that happens in a jurisdiction, that brings the whole jurisdiction down because everybody will know about it because it'll be talked about at Grand Lodge and everybody's going to be like a little more mistrustful of their brethren. And it just puts seeds of doubt out there. And that's why we need to be really careful and not just let old Jim Bob down the street from me. He rides the lawnmower to work and we'll let him in. He's kind of an odd fellow. And next thing you know, he's, you know, cleaned you out. So let's talk about tattoo artists as a odd fellow. Followed you for a long time and seen many of people do, uh, you know, the three links or the scales or heart and hand on their on their uh, body art. So do they have to be odd fellows to get those symbols on their body from you? I try to only do it on odd fellows. Um, like if somebody wants, you know, if somebody wanted like some three links because of like their grandfather or something, like I would do it on them. I know probably some other odd fellow tattooers would say no. Um, I definitely wouldn't tattoo anything that was like a past grand symbol on somebody that isn't a past grand. Uh, stuff like that. Or like I wouldn't tattoo like if you're, you know, if you're not in the encampment, like why would you get an encampment tent? kind of thing you know so uh i do see a lot of people online on instagram that have odd fellow symbol tattoos and i always comment i try to cut like i go through the instagram uh hashtags every day and try to comment on or at least like every post that's tagged iof or odd fellows and if it's something that i feel like it's almost like fishing i'll be like hey cool tattoo uh cool three links tattoo ask me i may know and just to try to at least make them aware hey, that symbol's cool, that's our symbol, we still exist. Because so many people don't think we exist anymore. They just think we're just a gone buildings, you know? And uh, But yeah, tattooers, uh, I think like Oddfellows and tattooing kind of go hand in hand because 
uh, fellows were always kind of like made up of the odd trades, uh, you know, a little bit more blue collar and, uh, tattooing is definitely considered more of like a lowbrow art and, um, very like a blue collar art trade. And it is a trade and you go through an apprenticeship and it's a very traditional thing in that way. So groups like this, I feel like, you know, tattooers have always kind of been drawn to like a lot of tattooers are Freemasons. Um, but I think even more so in the recent years, I've been meeting a lot of tattooers that have been coming coming to Oddfellows. And I would love to see more tattoo artists get involved with Oddfellowship. I've met several, uh, um, our noble grand, uh, she just graduated from her apprenticeship. I apprenticed her. Um, so that's two of us in the Lodge that are tattooers. Um, Shane and uh, another guy, Matt, I think is his name down in Louisville are tattooers and their odd fellows. Uh, Ross Carter in Indiana, his shop is even called Three Links. Um, and I met him and me and Shane tattooed Three Links on his hand. Um, Oliver Peck, of course, and a couple other guys down in uh, Texas are odd fellow tattooers. Uh, Luke Westman, um, who's a huge name tattooer, he's an odd fellow. So, and oh, Omar up, uh, Omar Admiston, I totally butchered his name. He's uh, up in the Northwest, he's an odd fellow couple guys in Canada and uh, I think Nova Scotia, I think. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, they're all over the place. Uh, guys in Syracuse are Oddfellows and uh, I know Oddfellow Tattooer in uh, Vegas. So it's fantastic. It's I've got this whole secondary network of tattoo artists that I've met purely because of Oddfellows. So that's kind of like a fun secondary kind of thing that's kind of a bonus for me is that I have a new way to network with uh, tattoo artists purely because we're odd fellows and it's really fun to do that. So. so one of the things that's interests me is your connection with artists that are odd fellows. And there's a Facebook group um, where people are sharing homemade crafty type symbolism and that sort of thing. It looks like there's a tradition of just being totally free on your symbolism and your representation of symbolism as an odd fellow uh, because we see so many different pins or we see so many different buttons over the years and one of the things that attracts me to it is you can just dream it up and if you think it's really cool like shane did our our 150th anniversary uh plaque put a whole bunch of symbols together and it looks really cool and we love it and we we respect it as much as if it came from sovereign grand so what is kind of your view on that freedom or the artistic side of it? For me, it's it's just a, a bottomless well of inf of like inspiration, honestly. Because um, a the symbols are just cool, like just flat out. Like I think we got the coolest symbols of any fraternal group, flat out. You can't beat that heart and hand. That's the coolest thing. There's. Almost like when you're making art from a symbol, you're kind of thinking about the symbol while you're making the design. If I'm, you know, if I'm doing like a, you know, I'm working on a, a book project, I'm illustrating a book and um, this book is all supposed to look like old, like old fashioned sketches, like a, almost like, like a kind of a modern take on the old Odd Fellows book. And so all the art has to have a certain look to it. And while I'm creating these images, I'm trying to, kind of pull in a little bit of like a little esoteric take with it and a little bit of the experience and the vibe and it's just fun it's really i, I it's for me to create something that's outside of tattooing that is art but it's still a focused art is like a really kind of a fun kind of a it's just kind of a fun rabbit hole to jump down and 
by collecting the art, just the folk art tradition of Odd Fellowship, going back to the very beginning, and then the books that had come out in the recent years, like the one by uh, Bruce Lee Webb, As Above, So Below. Great book. I recommend anybody that's a member go get it. Um, and he's also an Odd Fellow, great guy. Um, he's a member of Waxahachie in Texas. Just seeing the great folk art tradition from the members of the order, and then I was like, I'm going to start this art group, the uh, Odd Fellow Artists, because I want to maintain that tradition so it's really cool seeing all the members that do make things like the woodworked items the hand embroidered stuff uh stained glass windows i've seen people make it's fantastic it's awesome seeing other members being inspired by our symbols and wanting to make their art and sharing it with the world i, I love it i feel like our art is a huge part of the odd fellows because it's our visual language it's how we convey our symbols and the the kind of the veiled meanings of everything and i'm just like looking around the room at everything it's meaningful and it makes fantastic art and it's never gets boring so thanks very much ainsley before we put, drop you off the line do you have something or anything you'd like to plug yeah so if anybody wants to follow me online um you could follow me at on facebook under my name uh it's a-i-n-s-l-i-e-h-e-i-l-i-c-h ainsley heilich that's my name you could find me on instagram at vintage karma you could also find me online at my tattoo shop website which is artofvintagekarma.com and if you want to check out the blog that i um, co-run with a friend a brother from arkansas it is the heart and hand the modern odd fellows guide and we have over 200 articles um, that are submitted from members from all over the order and but on all topics odd you can find that at oddfellowsguide.com all right. Great. Thank you so much for this interview, Ainsley. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I am so excited that you guys are doing this because I know, Billy, you talked about this for probably at least a year, maybe two years. Oops, we had to cut Ainsley off there. When guests come on The Modern Goat Rider, they usually talk to us for about two hours. So thanks to Ainsley, and thanks for listening. An overdue congratulations to the Three Links Oddcast, to Ainsley, Toby, and Sergio. Don't forget to download theirs when you're picking up ours or leaving our review. Josh and I will be back soon with another episode making more Oddfellows discoveries and seeing the Oddfellowship all around us. Cheers in FLT. Baby, if you've ever wondered, wondered whatever became of me, I'm living on the air in Billy's basement, Billy's basement WFLT. Got tired of packing, packing, and unpacking. Town to town, up and down the dial. Maybe you and me were never meant to be. But baby, think of me once in a while. I'm at WK... Wait a second. <laughs> okay, wait. I'm at WFLT in Billy's basement.